you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke, the 24th chapter. It wasn't hard to figure out a passage that I would read and that I would preach from and that I would reflect upon through what is actually a great number of years of relationship. I've known E.C. quite a while. I met E.C. Uh, when I went to visit Covenant Seminary. I showed up, and they put me in a car, and they were driving me around, and they were trying to show the dignity of the seminary, how beautiful it was, the pristine nature of its students. And they drove me around, and there was E.C. Bell. I think he might have had a shirt off. Definitely had, you know, was smoking and working on a car, and they just tried to pass us by quickly. And I went, no, 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 that, that's my kind of guy. This makes me want to go here. This is someone I can relate to, not you, but him. It's been a long relationship. My children were baptized in their church in Colorado. I baptized my niece, the first baptism I ever did in that church in Colorado, and the subsequent other niece and nephew that was there. We were there, and we were here. We sat in presbytery meetings at times, just sitting back, feeling like the old men on the balcony of the Muppet Show, going, what on earth are we doing now? We got in the car, and we waited for one another to call the other one and try to make sense of things that we have seen. We've cried together. We've laughed a lot. And I think back of Dr. Seuss's great book, Oh, the Places You'll Go and the Places We've Been. I've taken him on fishing trips, which in itself was humorous. It's something you should never try to do again. I've taken him with another dear friend of ours that was the direct opposite of who he is. And I sat with referee stripes on relationally as they fought through the course of a week. One a hardcore Republican and the other one EC. <laughs> the places that we've gone. It's pretty magnificent. I would say the most formative class in my years of seminary was actually held at a pub where several of us would gather once a week trying to make sense of the things that we had heard of great and lofty theology. And yet oftentimes what we needed was the concrete beauty of what it was for the covenants to actually operate within our lives that would be rooted in grace. Grace that would afford us never to be threatened by a person that's different than us, but grace that would invite us to understand that there is never a conversation or has there ever been a person that the Lord is not interested in as he created them in the image of himself. We're going to see two friends traveling together. They're beginning their day in great dismay that they're going to discover unbelievable reward. Luke, the 24th chapter, beginning in verse 13, this is God's word. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. Now, commercial break, what day is it we're talking about? This is Easter day. This is the day of Christ's resurrection. This is a day where he's already approached a couple, and the word is beginning to whisper and be screened, but yet no one knows if it indeed is true. That very day, the two of them were going to Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, they were walking with each other about these, they were talking with each other about the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and they looked sad. The grass withers and the flowers will fade. This is God's word, it stands forever. Let's pray. Father, it I stand here and I look to my friend and there's a part of me that is sad and there's a part of me that is delighted and there's a part of me that 
sits back and wonders where the conversations will go. We'll go in the different directions, and yet we always seem to come back to some kind of a, an issue and an opportunity, and there's a deep provocation within our friendship and a deep sense of reward as Christ is discovered. And we see that relationship on the Damascus Road, and we benefit from what happens as they move from ignorance of who Christ is to an absolute transformation of who was with them. We pray, Lord, that you grant us that incredible transformation today, that we'd be people most grateful. In the Lord's name, amen. So let me ask you the question. If you could go back to any event in life, where would you go? It's all the questions I love to ask. I'm a guy who loves to ask questions. Can we talk to each other in this church, or is that not allowed? We do, yes. We do, okay. So give me an event. Where would you want to go? Where, in, in what perspective would you look at? No one? Where do you want to go? I'll give you one. I think it'd be fascinating to be in Southwick House on the night before D-Day. To sit there and see the Allied commander have to walk in with all the weather reports crumbling and have to make that decision. Okay, let's go. That'd be an amazing moment. Just to be an aide sitting there watching. I had a chance some years ago in Houston to go and I remember sitting right by the box where it came through and said, Houston, we have a problem in Apollo 13. You've been in that room. Again, nobody of importance, just a person sitting there watching Gene Krantz. The entirety of the room falls into chaos, but that one man as a leader stands, recognizes that this is not a time for panic, but for response. Those are two big ones in history. We have any number of ones there. We could go... I'd love to go back and see the birth of a child that maybe I was so overwhelmed I couldn't see. I'd like to go back and see the wedding that I missed because I was ill. It could be any number of things. There are key moments that we'd like to go back and see it again. Or we'd like to be there and wonder what it was like. In the Bible, this is the moment that I would like to go to. I don't think that I could have walked with Jesus as an apostle and understood it any more than any of those guys did. I would probably be worse than Peter. He denied him three times. I'm sure I would have been in the 30 to 40 range. But what it was like to be on the Emmaus Road, to walk with Jesus Christ in common ways, to have him walk up and say, hey, what are you all talking about? To look sad, and he doesn't run away, but he leans in, and we trust him, and we talk to him. And later we discover him, and are more pressing discovered by him. And it all makes sense. That would be a great day, a great day to live. Because you see, you and I, we can often see Christ but not recognize him. We can listen to his words, but do we really hear him speak? Christianity in this passage is very honest because it's extremely simple. Christians discuss Jesus. Christians both discover Christ and are more pressing discovered by Christ, and thirdly, Christians Delight in Jesus as well. Point one, we discuss Jesus. Luke 24, 13. That day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. 
Verse 17, he said to them, what is this conversation that you're having as you walk? You can only imagine they stopped looked at each other and were sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered Christ, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said, What things? They said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. They did not find his body. They came back and they said that they had seen angels. And they responded to them that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, found that just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. What I love about this is that how concrete this passage is. The God of the universe, just resurrected from the dead, decides to go for a walk with a couple folks. Just stop for a moment and realize how astonishing that is. Jesus Christ says, I'm just going to go for a walk with some friends of mine. I'm going to enter into their conversation. I'm going to move into their life. I'm actually going to do what I've always done, and I have just did on the cross. I'm going to embrace their pain and transform it to my glory. Christians talk about Jesus. One of my favorite movies of all time is Forrest Gump. My favorite person in Forrest Gump is Bubba. If you remember Bubba and Forrest Gump, the entire movie, Bubba talks about one thing, shrimp. He talks about how to, how to catch shrimp, how to sell shrimp, how to eat shrimp, how to cook shrimp, how to enjoy shrimp, what shrimp means to his family. In every scene of the movie, whether they're in combat, scrubbing the floor with a toothbrush, in line running, shrimp, shrimp, and more shrimp. We love to talk about the things that we love. Grandparents talk about grandchildren. If you've ever been around a person that's newly in love, you just kind of say, stop, can you just, I've got it, she's great, shut up, get out of my way. We love to talk about things that we love. This is what it is as a Christian, is that we love Christ, and we want to speak about Jesus all the time. But as we step into this again, what's so important is to just stop and look at Jesus for a moment. Jesus is good company. Jesus is one that people like to be around. We often can lose sight of the magnificence of who Christ was as person by simply reflecting on the things that he said that are profound and the things that he did that were miraculous. He was the same person that in, earlier in that week could walk in in the presence of both Roman and temple guards and drive hundreds, if not thousands, from the temple courts by the sheer magnificence of his personality. And yet he's the one that could approach these two people unopposing and ask them, hey, what are y'all talking about? Can I go with you for a while? This is who he was. He was good people. He was good company. He was a people, person that people could come to and confidently trust. They just felt at ease around him. We see this as these two friends turn to and begin to recount what was for them one of the most horrific events in their life. Ministry is really not that complicated. It's just hard. I can remember my friend telling me many years ago, we were at seminary, at that pub actually, 
saying to me, you know, I think all that ministry is is just a cartoon. A couple guys sitting there, they have their little bubbles, and the bubbles share together. Jesus Christ, that's really ministry. And I've really lived out and thought about that for 25 years. It's really not that complicated. It's just hard. But to stay on point and realize, what do I need to put in that bubble that's going to interact another person's bubble? How do I speak to them? What do I say? This is really where we see the beauty of who Jesus was. I like Dr. Reichen's comments at this point. It says this, Jesus exposits the Bible and used all the principles of Christ-centered, gospel-driven interpretation. He had his own hermeneutic about himself. Jesus is not just here or there in his predictions or that prophecy. He is everywhere in the New and the Old Testament. So Jesus Christ occupies the entirety of who these people are in that moment. It's incredible. Another way to think of this is, I remember another friend of mine saying, listen, you have to do everything you can with your, with your boy because once he smells two things, gas, fumes, and perfume, he's off to the races. I have a 17-year-old. He hasn't quite figured out perfume yet. He's figured out gas fumes. And if we're not careful, all that Jack Parker can talk about is his 1991 Ford F-250. He gets up in the morning like Bubba Gump Shrimp, and he's got something he wants to buy, something he wants to fix, something he wants me to discover, get excited about, and pay for. Because he wants to talk about what he loves. Jesus Christ wants to talk about and to what he loves. His father and his people. This is the might and wonder of what ministry is. It's connecting with people about the grace of God. Again, we're going to discuss what is most important to us. And I have a good track record to say that this man that will soon retire and move to another venture, another calling, loves nothing more Nothing more than discussing Christ. And the wonder of that is, is because he has both discovered and been discovered by Christ as well. Book 24, 25 again. And they said to him, or excuse me, he, Jesus, said to them, the two friends, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, you take that as first value, you're like, gosh, what a jerk. They just unfolded to him what was the worst day they've ever had. And he turns to them and says, you fools. But he doesn't stop there. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And he began all the way back with Moses and all the prophets, and he interpreted them all the scriptures that concerned him. Verse 28, they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him and said strongly, Stay with us. It is towards evening. The day is now spent. He went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. Hear this in verse 31. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. We have to both discover, but more pressing, be discovered by Jesus. I watched this great documentary some time ago on the, um, my brain just went blank, North Alabama. There's Muscle Shoals, Alabama. There's this incredible place where they've had these huge music people either be discovered or go there to perfect their craft. And in Muscle Shoals, one guy stands out, Percy Sledge. Percy Sledge was a big guy working as an orderly at a hospital 
when the head of the Muscle Shoals record studio was there for some reason or another in the middle of the night, and he hears this guy down the hallway singing what would actually become one of the biggest hits of all time, When a Man Loves a Woman. You can only imagine what it was like for him to run down the hallway, discover this guy, and send his career moving. I had a chance some years ago to meet one of the smallest people ever, Dolly Parton. Just kind of fascinated by her. Still to this day, I'm fascinated by her. What you may not realize is she was, young, or she was on the younger side of 12 children, very poor family in West Virginia, and it took an uncle that put her on a variety show when she was 12 years old that really moved her life to the person we know today. Christians have to be discovered by and in turn are free to discover Jesus all the time. This is what Jesus is giving them as they're walking along the way. You fools, you failed to grasp it even now. Let me unpack for you. Let me do the hermeneutics. Let me interpret for you what you're missing. It's me. Quoting Reichen again. Jesus gives them the golden key to unlock the meaning of the Hebrew scriptures, and it was this. It's all about him. Every part of the Old Testament finds its meaning and its purpose in relationship to both the person, the words, the work, and the continued authority of Jesus Christ. The scripture says that it's only in Jesus that all things hold together. We see this in Colossians chapter 1. It's true of the Old Testament. Paul really does an incredible job of driving home the magnificence of what it is for us to see all of life in truth. In his letter to Colossians, the first chapter, he says this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. It is by him that all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, the thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be the one preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now this is kind of like when you watch a drug commercial, and they have the really fast writing in the end. You kind of read all this stuff. Now when they give you that in the drug commercial, it means that parts of your body are going to fall off. What Paul is doing in Colossians 1, 15 and following is, if we're cautious, he'll slow down and say, no, actually, as you discover Jesus Christ, this is how you're made whole again. The parts of the body, your, your mind, your ethics, your sense of, of awareness, your ability to sacrifice, your eternal assurance are found in the one who has authority over it all. And don't we struggle even now to admit that he's the one that has authority over it all. What are the, some of the key points he would have brought up? He said Moses and the prophets and history to the point. Beginning with Moses, it would have been Moses most likely recounting in Genesis, the third chapter, what it was to have the need for one that would come and crush Satan, the destruction of sin. In Exodus, what was it to have the need for the Passover lamb in chapter 12? Leviticus 16 that atonement only comes through sacrificial blood. Numbers 21, the idea of what it is to have deliverance from idolatry. Deuteronomy 27, we discover that the cursed covenant-breaking sinner will only 
find hope and wholeness in the altar spring of the blood of God. Truth finds its fulfillment in Christ. What it was for him to go back to these key moments, these key people, these key points in history, what he could have said of them that day. He could have looked at the two friends and said, he is the son of the woman who was bruised on the cross, crushing Satan's head. He's the lamb who offered his blood for our sins, John 3. He lifted up our salvation, John 13. He is a covenant maker who was cursed for all of our covenant breaking in Galatians 3. The fulfillment of Christ in the historical expectation, how much more so in the prophets. In Isaiah, the Savior is the one who was wounded for our iniquity, pierced for our transgressions. He said, it is me that you have been singing about all this time. In Jeremiah, the 20th chapter, I am the one that's been mocked and abused. In Zechariah, chapter 3, I am the one who makes atonement for you and the whole land in a single day. In Psalm 22, the horror of the substitute and God-forsaken death. Jesus walked through who they are and he discovered that day who they're supposed to be. But let's be honest, we don't get it. We, we never get it. We have a tendency to take parts of who Christ is. We look for these moments of like supernatural deliverance. We, again, look back in history. What did happen after they made that fateful decision in Southwick House? As Eisenhower had the fateful decision, let's go. June 6th happened. We had D-Day. We look back at that. We write movies about that. We have songs and stories about that. It's a part of our collective national memory. But it was a day in a series of days in a sense of history. How much more is it for you and I where we have that crushing sense of rescue today? And the wonder of that is we're going to have the same story tomorrow. We don't have to look back at our, at our faith as it's some kind of a historic artifact. We are to look forward and rest now on what it is. Jesus Christ is the same today, May 2nd. So it'll be tomorrow, May 3rd. May 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, all the failure we're going to have in obedience, we're going to walk back into worship May 9th. And we're going to confess our sins. We're going to be supernaturally provided for in pardon. And the graciousness of Jesus Christ is going to give us an eternal hope because we've been discovered by Jesus. It's amazing that every aspect of our life points to a heroic act, and that act goes on each moment of each day. Christians like to talk about Christ, and we like to discover him. We also have to delight in him. Luke 24, 32. They said to each other, hear this, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Did our hearts not burn within us when he opened to us the Bible? And it finally made sense. There was that same hour returning to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together. And they said, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. What an amazing thing to think about. The mystery of the Messiah always present in their belief. Nevertheless, they don't recognize him until this point. You and I will have that experience innumerable times if we're honest in the week that is to come, in the life that is to come. 
looking and speaking about Jesus Christ, but needing to discover that he's real and living and speaking and powerful in our life. It's funny that they said that it burned within them. This really does prove the fact that the gospel is not just this vanilla, plain Jane thing that we can just ignore. There's a spiciness to the whole of it. One of the things I've liked about EC, and I've honestly at times hated about him, is that he's going to perpetually and continually push me to ask questions that I would rather not ask. I'll call him in the morning. Hey, EC, let's talk about college football. I am a fan of the Lord's team, the University of Alabama. 16 seconds into the conversation of how great our quarterback did, he's launching me off into what it is for us to do, he said in the confession, the widows and the aliens and the orphans at our gate. Like, can we just, can we just talk football? No, it's actually like we need to pivot out of that and it's privilege. We need to move over here to the gospel. Can we not just talk about fo- No, we need to head this direction. I'll call him sometimes and I'll just see what, how long will it take me to get off topic with him. And I say that because he has provoked me to delight in Jesus. Not in a convenient Jesus that I would create, but he's been used by the Holy Spirit to move me to an astonishing Jesus that I both fear and need. And I dare say we will all miss that prophetic voice. We have to ask ourselves a question, what is it that we see around us and we experience that makes us go, wow? For some of you, it may be art. For others of you, it may be literature. For some of us, it may be college football. For others, it could be a great sense of nature or wonder flying over here this morning. I just happened to look out at the exact time the plane made a turn. Mount Hood sat there with not a cloud on it save one, brilliantly shining and reflecting the snow, but it had like this little kind of Jewish beanie on top of it of clouds. Unbelievably cool. I just sat there just mystified by how God shows up and shows off. Just went, wow, I cannot believe that. What is it like to be those that are on the Emmaus Road when we have Christ break bread all of a sudden it makes sense to us anew? That's who he was, and that's what he had to say, and that's what it meant, and that's how it relates to me. This is what I'm supposed to do now, to discover grace anew in ways that are beyond the entirety of our memory, of our entirety of our imagination, because it moves into the supernatural of glory that is to come. Dear friends, dear saints of Chehalem Valley, I'm so grateful to be here. But I'm especially grateful to be here with artists and to be here with EC. I've told Gretchen a hundred times, I've only feared a couple of women truly in life. My grandmother's one, artist is one. I probably have more fear of artists than Gretchen. And Gretchen's a pretty fearful person as well. Gretchen said, what are you going to do? Kyle, because you talk to him more than you talk to me in the week. But the wonder of that is, is that what I have in my friends as I talk to them is a discovery of the grace of Christ and a delight in what it means. And that will be something that will never end. It will have limits of days on this earth in the way that we see it now, but it will be limitless in glory that is to come. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you, and I pray that we would be those most provoked, 
that we would not be lost in trying to discover some meaningless, trivial day that we can make better than another day, but we would be those that are captivated by your authority of all days, of all times. That we would be a people that are captivated by what it is to recognize glory now and to rest in glory eternally. I pray that you would be with this congregation, that you would bless them richly, that you would provide for them and guide them. I'm so delighted, and I'm frankly so comforted to hear that Alan Carter will be here. I pray that you'd be with he and his wife. We're thankful. Even this week, talking to nearly a dozen men that are a part of his church in Birmingham, the blessing and benefit that he has been is he has been one who is delighted in Christ, discussing him often because he knows of his discovery in him. Please be with this session. Give them wisdom and guidance. Be with these new mercy ministry teams as they think of, not only now, but in the days to come, bless this church powerfully with your grace, with your wisdom and insight, with your hand upon them. And we are, as a people, thankful. In Christ's name, amen.